Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Welcome to My 70s TV Childhood, the sweet you can eat between meals without ruining your appetite. Or is that Milky Way? Anyway, welcome back if you're a regular listener, and a particularly fond welcome if you're listening for the very first time. What's this podcast about? Well, it's for all of those who have fond memories of growing up in Britain during the 1970s, and who watched lots of television as children. TV was a cultural phenomenon which united our country, and gave us plenty of common references, and I think that really helps to frame my memories of childhood. And, fortunately, as we've now got over 60 episodes under our belt, I'm glad I'm not alone in having treasured memories of childhood television. The incredible number of listeners my ramblings have attracted over the last few years is is truly moving, as are the memories that you've shared via our blog or on social media. After our last show on CD sitcoms, I've received a mixed post bag of comments. Um, well, I'm not really sure what the digital equivalent of a post bag is, so I'll just stick with post bag if that's all right. Particularly on Steptoe and Son, which appears to have divided our listeners between those who loved it and, well, to be honest, those who absolutely hated it. One listener even maintained she went to bed early if Steptoe was on because, although the rest of her family sat and roared with laughter at the show, It made her skin crawl thinking of those two awful men in the junkyard, and the only escape was an early night. Oh dear. If you want to get in touch and share any thoughts on this or anything else we've covered, then visit our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, search for My 70s TV Childhood on your favourite social media, oh, um, excluding Instagram that is, I haven't quite worked out how to pout well enough to get a following, and uh, I don't think my six-pack is quite up to it. Or you can just email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Now, I think most of us would agree that family is a really important thing. I've only got really happy memories of most of my childhood, even though I couldn't possibly have been happy all the time. As a family, we got along really well, and I have happy memories of bedtime stories, nursery rhymes, and laughter before drifting off to sleep. The older I got, the later I could stay up, until at some point, I guess in my early teens, I started staying up later than anyone else in the house, and then, as a result, got up later than anyone else the next morning. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one, and it's the same for families across the world with their own little goodnight rituals. And that reminds me of one American TV family whose goodnight rituals became pretty well known. Everybody quiet down now and get some sleep. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jamboy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob.
What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night. Good night, Jimbo. During the recent pandemic years, when we all had to get used to working remotely and using video conferencing, even just to talk to our friends and family, I was really struck by one meeting where everyone was saying good morning to each new person as they joined the Microsoft Teams meeting I was attending. I made an innocent comment to say, well, it was just like the Waltons, and then suddenly realised that none of the participants on the call was old enough to recognise my cultural reference point. Hmm as the virtual tumbleweed rolled across the screen, I almost adopted, you know, that frozen screen trick that I'm sure one or two of you have done yourselves, but decided that might be adding insult to injury. So instead, I tried to explain who the Waltons were and why it was so significant. Again, probably not the right thing to do. Silence and disbelief. Oh, it's Oliver. He's going on again about old TV shows. Hmm. Well, What the Waltons did show us in Britain was a slice of what life was like for ordinary rural American families during the Depression and into the Second World War. And for a child growing up in a town in the northwest of England, it was like watching something from another planet. In spite of that, the Waltons was one of the best-loved US imports on UK TV during the 70s and indeed into the early 80s. The show ran from 1972 to 1981, over nine seasons and a remarkable 221 episodes. It was based on the memoirs of Earl Hamner Jr., who'd written about his early life growing up in Virginia, in a book called Spencer's Mountain. The book was adapted as a made-for-TV Christmas movie in 1971 called The Homecoming, not to be confused with the rather miserable and baffling Harold Pinter play I had to study for my English A-level, But this movie proved so popular that CBS immediately commissioned a series and The Legend of the Waltons was born. Now, I think there must have been a few things going on here. The US, frankly, needed a bit of cheering up. Things weren't going so well in Vietnam and gentle, feel-good TV was much in demand. There was also a growing feeling amongst viewers that the major networks were focusing too much on the big cities and neglecting the rural heart of America. Top shows were either gritty urban cop shows like Ironside or Kojak, and lots of the comedies tended to be city-based, smart and sassy like The Odd Couple and All in the Family, the US version of Till Death Has Do Part. And I think what American audiences craved was an escape to the country, and by that I don't mean a couple from Islington selling their bedsit and buying a farm in Hereford, The Great Depression was a terrible experience for a young country, but one which created a shared sense of identity as the nation struggled to recover. Well, for rural-based comfort TV, The Waltons was a perfect antidote.
that theme tune, written by the Oscar-winning composer Jerry Goldsmith, immediately brings back two lots of memories for me. First of being transported to the family's farmhouse in Virginia, with the imaginatively named Walton's Mountain in the background. And secondly, of doing my school homework on a Tuesday evening, before having dinner around the kitchen table, and then settling down to watch the show. I'm pretty sure it was mostly shown on Tuesdays, because of the homework. We, we often got homework on Tuesdays and not on other days. Can't remember why. But I do remember it was shown on BBC Two, which was not often watched in the evening in our house. BBC Two, for those who don't remember at the time, tended to be the home of rather higher brow sorts of TV, like opera and classical music and interesting science programmes. It was also the home of slightly edgy programmes like Monty Python, Spike Milligan and Rutland Weekend Television. Shows that didn't quite sit with BBC One's more popular schedule. So I'm not sure why the Waltons ended up there. Oh, and BBC Two is also remarkable in that it was on the air for even less time than BBC One, which, as most of you will remember, took large breaks in transmission during the daytime. Anyway, back to the show. The premise was reasonably simple. John Boy Walton, the eldest of many Walton children, was the narrator. Earl Hamner Jr. himself voiced the old John Boy. He introduced each episode and made the odd comment during the show, and wrapped things up with a bit of a sort of homily on how things had worked out well for someone, or how they'd learned a valuable lesson, etc, etc. And the whole show was held together by the seemingly vast Walton family and their adventures and interactions. Now, I think it's time for a quiz. How many of the family do you remember? Obviously, there was John Boy, played by Richard Thomas, called John Boy, as he was the son of John Walton Sr. John Sr., played by Ralph Waite, was the patriarch of a huge brood he'd fathered with his wife Olivia, played by Michael Leonard. Okay, grab a piece of paper and a pen. And how many of the kids can you name? I'll give you a few moments to scribble down some names. And hopefully you were listening to the earlier clip which gave a few clues. Okay, time's up. Right, let's see how many you got. Good night, John Boy. Obviously. Good night, Jason. Good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, Erin. Good night, Ben. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Elizabeth. Okay, how many did you get? Oh, and of course, there were also Grandma and Grandpa Walton, who I think were John's parents as well who were always on hand to offer advice, comfort to crying children, or I seem to remember sometimes taking John Sr. or Olivia to task for not bringing up their children properly. Anyway, the family lived in the eponymous Walton's Mountain in Jefferson County, Virginia, a simple place where good, friendly folks looked out for each other and lived a God-fearing life. Of course, that would have made really dull television, So into the mix came troublesome strangers, bringing their fancy ideas to the mountain or passing through, characters feeling the strain of the depression and having to make do with rural poverty, and, central to many of the plotlines and to the show's popularity, the ups and downs and challenges of children growing up, learning life's lessons 
and turning into adults. Now, my childhood in Warrington was nothing like that of a child growing up in rural poverty and depression era Virginia. But some of the themes addressed were universal. Falling out with and then getting along with brothers and sisters. Dealing with unkind comments of other people. And also understanding that life could sometimes be difficult. The Waltons, for all of its comfort TV qualities, did deal with some serious issues in its time including the deaths of both Grandma and Grandpa Walton, and the impact that that had on both the children and their parents. I also seem to remember the show dealt with a whole range of tricky subjects, like how German-Jewish refugees felt persecuted even when they'd reached America, how poverty made some formerly lawful people turn to petty crime to get food to feed their families, and the dangers of rural life when Olivia got polio and almost died as a result. There were, I remember, several plot lines on racial inequality in America. Old Civil War era rivalries between families. And I think we even had a Hollywood film crew visiting, which set the cat amongst the pigeons, particularly amongst the, the younger Waltons. Funny, when I think about it now, there were an awful lot of comings and goings from Walton's Mountain. And almost every episode had a guest star or two, bringing in some new moral dilemma or love interest for one or sometimes several of the Walton children. As I say, had the episodes just focused on what life was really like in Depression, Virginia, it might have been a bit dull, and it certainly wouldn't have stretched to 200 plus episodes. As the show went on, the storylines became a bit more complicated and more convoluted. The children grew up, got married in some cases, and the Second World War became ever-present in the storylines, which were no longer purely confined to Walton's Mountain, which I think was a bit of a mistake. We even had an earlier example of character swaps when, long after Richard Thomas had left the show for other opportunities, John Boy turned up after having been missing in action in Germany and, hey presto, he was someone completely different, now played by Robert Whiteman. And this was all very confusing to British viewers, who up to this point hadn't really been used to the chopping and changing of actors playing the same character. We've certainly got used to it since. The Waltons is often seen as being run-of-the-mill, safe TV, but I really don't think it was. What I think upset some people was that, at the heart of it, it was about ordinary people facing day-to-day joys and problems with a positive, good-hearted response, which made it an easy target for more cynical critics. I remember George Bush Sr. famously saying that American families should be a lot more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons. Excuse my accent. Of course, that resulted in a Simpsons episode where George and Barbara Bush moved in next door to Homer and Marge with predictable results. What the show did do was it brought Virginia to Warrington and gave me some ideas as to what it must have been like to be a child in rural America in the 1930s. Although, like many other shows, I later found out it was actually filmed in Hollywood and that Walton's Mountain was just the other side of the hill where the Hollywood sign stands. That's a bit disappointing. But for me, it will always leave a warm feeling, as well as reminding me of homework on a Tuesday night. And I do hope that one day, one of my colleagues might recognise the reference when I say, as I'm sure most of us have all have done at some point, good night, John Boy.
So that was our view of American family life in the 1930s and 1940s. But after the end of the war, America was suddenly hugely affluent and an exciting post-war future opened up. The same, unfortunately, wasn't true in the UK, where we had to deal with the huge cost of waging a long war and endured a period of great austerity. There aren't that many British TV shows that look back nostalgically to the 50s, but that certainly wasn't the case in the US, where 50s and early 60s nostalgia became a big thing in the 70s, as those who come of age during that decade were now out in the world having families of their own and looking back fondly to their youth. The film American Graffiti, released in 1973, is a great example of this nostalgia. And it inspired a series which was to become one of the most popular shows on US TV during the 1970s. Both the film and the TV show starred Ron Howard, and the TV show did pretty well over here too. The world depicted in Happy Days was totally incomprehensible to me as a child growing up in Britain. This world of diners, driving movies, high school dances and cheerleaders was a long way from the comprehensives and grammar schools of Northwest England. And the beautiful people hanging around drinking milkshakes in Arnold's, the diner in Happy Days, couldn't really compare to the queues outside our local chip shop on a Friday tea time. But in spite of this, or more likely because of it, Happy Days was a huge hit in both the US and in the UK. And in many ways, I think it was similar to the Waltons in portraying ordinary family life with a focus on children growing up. Basically, it was good at heart and all of the characters were likeable types, just trying to make their way in life. The show was set in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and featured the lives of the Cunningham, or Cunningham, as I should have said, family, focusing particularly on their eldest child, Richie, played by Ron Howard, later to become the legendary Hollywood film director and producer, and his friends, as they negotiated high school and all of the other associated potential minefields, like girls, high school sports, who to ask to the prom, and lots of other good old-fashioned American dilemmas. Rich's friends included the rather gormous Ralph and Potsy, and also a leather jacket-clad, motorcycle-obsessed high school dropout called Arthur Fonzarelli, or the Fonz to his friends. Now, for those who weren't around at the time, the Fonz, played by Henry Winkler, catapulted the show from also-ran sitcom to international greatness. The impact he and his character had was enormous. Happy Days became the number one show on US TV and attracted a huge following in Britain, and the Fonz became a byword for being cool. So why was that? Well, once the character appeared in season one, he became an instant hit. Part James Dean part Al Pacino, part sort of young Richard Gere, he would steal every scene 
even if he was just combing his greaseback hair while leaning against a motorbike in his leather jacket. For whatever reason, and it seems a bit odd looking back, the Fonz was cool. And across the Western world, teenagers took to wearing leather jackets, sometimes borrowed from their dads or elder brothers, and throwing their arms wide open, shouting, Hey! Which was sort of his catchphrase. I remember when I started secondary school, there were several older boys who cultivated the Fonz look and style, including one who actually insisted on being called the Fonz by the younger pupils, which I always thought was a bit overambitious. Although I have to say it did seem to work for him and he had no shortage of female attention. Although I have to say it didn't end well after he was caught having sex on school premises and immediately expelled. I digress. As well as Winkler's star turn, there was a strong supporting cast, notably Tom Bosley, who played Rich's father, Mr. Cunningham, who I'm sure had a first name, but I can't quite remember what it was. The programme also featured, as a bit of a novelty, a pre-karate kid, Pat Morita, in its early days as Arnold Takashi, who was the owner of Arnold's Diner. And when he moved on, he was replaced by Al Molinaro, playing Al DeVecchio, who became a fixture as the usually miserable owner of Arnold's. Like many sitcoms, Happy Days probably went on a bit too long. After Ron Howard went off to direct films, the show basically became The Fonz and Friends, and lost some of its innocence and charm. It also suffered a little from the same issue that the Waltons had faced. The children got older, and either needed to have adult storylines, or to be replaced by other kids, neither of which worked quite so well. The show's also interesting, looking back, in that it produced lots of spin-offs. In one episode, Fonzie is visited by an alien, Mork, from the planet Orson. And from that, the popular show Mork and Mindy was born, which led to the rise to stardom of Robin Williams. We also had Laverne and Shirley, based on two minor characters, which went on to be a huge international hit as well. Oh, and we also got Joni Loves Charchi, which, for those of you who remember, I think you will agree was absolutely dreadful. So two shows, two slices of American history brought to life as comforting, nostalgic entertainment. But it still seems a bit odd that the shows were both so popular over here as well. Or is it? You know, I think we've always found America glamorous, exciting and compelling. So being given a window into a world so different than the drab or steer and often very conventional life that most people lived in post-war Britain allowed us some sort of escape into an exotic world of high school cheerleaders, school proms and diners. I don't think I had a milkshake until I was in my teens, but I always did think I would like to try one. Did you borrow your dad's motorcycle jacket and shout, hey, at passing girls? Or did you say goodnight to all your family one by one like the Waltons? Let me know at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Search for us on all the socials, except Instagram, as I say, or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Thanks for joining me on our quick trip back in time. And I hope you join us again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.